Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. And joining us now is Dana Johansson from Stuff, Stuff Journalist. How are you, Dana? I'm good, thanks, Ricardo. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. And thanks very much for joining us. Of course, uh, the Heron Report Mark II came out yesterday. A lot of this around, of course, what happened with Olivia Podmore, uh, the New Zealand cyclist. Um, It feels like... We've been here before. Uh, I don't know if you feel the same way, but, I mean, we had a hearing report in 2018. So why are we here again? Yeah, absolutely. There was a sense of, of deja vu about yesterday's announcement, um, even the, the fact we were sitting in a room where I think they announced the findings of the New Zealand hockey report into the Black Six Women's Environment a few years ago. So, um yeah, there's been over the last four years we've seen hundreds of pages of sports reviews sort of piling up on on the desks of high performance sport NZ. Um, but the real tragedy here is obviously with cycling. This is the second crack at trying to find out what's going on in them, that environment, and it took the death of a young athlete to, to lead to this sort of critical look again at, at that high performance program. So, um, yeah, you, there was a real sense of of um, sadness in the room yesterday, um, and Cycling New Zealand chairman Phil Holden at one point in what was a quite a tense media conference said, you know, we don't want there to be another cycling inquiry. We want this to be the last cycling inquiry. And to that, I think everyone on the panel sort of nodded in agreement. I mean, Grant Robertson, who's the Minister of Sport and Recreation, uh, I mean, surely some of this is, you know, it's on his watch. So some of this has got to be uh, on him. I mean, he said at the time of the last one that they need to ensure the lessons of the report are acted upon. Uh, and three and a half years ago, uh, three and a half years later, I should say, um, he's talking about the same thing again. Now, given that Olivia Podmore, it was uh, basically they knew in the first uh, report that she had been coerced into giving a false statement to protect a, a teammate and a, and, a, and a coach. I would have thought that that would have been dealt with. Why are we still talking about that now? And why wasn't anything done about it in the meantime if uh, the report was so enacted upon? Yeah, that's the thing. I think it was it was mentioned in the report that um, by all accounts, most of the recommendations were enacted from that first report. Um, and so, you know, boxes were ticked. They put new policies in place. They did all the things that Mike Heron suggested. And so, in their reporting back to High Performance Sport and Zen, which then along went back to the Minister's office, um, they gave the impression that everything was, you know, cranking along quite nicely down there. Um but, yeah, there just seems to be what the, the review panel identified as being this disconnect between the executives um, and what was actually happening at, at, on the ground and, and with you know, you know, the actual culture of the organisation was not reflected in, in the stated culture, I guess. Um, and I guess that's the frustrating thing. So we've, we hear about this time and time again, about this misalignment between policies and actions. And so you can put all the policies in place you like, um, but if, if if you know the value systems that drive the behaviour weren't changed, then nothing's going to change. 
It feels like, from what you're saying and from what I've read in this report and, and, and your uh, brilliant piece that was uh, pr- uh, published on Stuff Today, that there's a disconnect between the coaches slash team managers and the board, that those coaches, team managers, to an extent, um, are, are a power unto themselves and there's a lack of transparency between the two so they can carry on and do what they do they, they want to do regardless of what's happened at board level? Yeah, absolutely. But also you've got to say that that, that the leadership of that organisation, the board and, and its CEO, need to take responsibility for not holding those coaches and high-performance directors accountable and asking the right questions of them. They seem to just have um, accepted what they've been told by high-performance directors and not properly question them about what's going on um, and allow them to have that overriding power. Um, and that's what we see in high-performance environments around the country is that um, the governance is not set up to ask the critical questions that they need to of the high-performance um, directors and coaches. So there needs to be, for, you know, and, and not just in cycling, but looking, given that, you know, we've had this in swimming, we've had this in hockey, uh, it, it feels like there needs to be, uh, I don't know whether it's an athlete's union is the right term, but there needs to be an independent body where athletes, if they don't feel like they've been listened to by coaches or team managers or, uh, you know, they're being pressured uh, or coerced into doing what they don't feel is right or they're not comfortable with, there needs to be an outlet for them somewhere that we don't currently have. Oh, absolutely. I think independent representation for our athletes is, is a critical step from here. Um, similar to what we see in, I guess, with um, rugby and cricket and netball, they have players associations and those bodies advocate very strongly on behalf of their athletes to ensure that they do get fair treatment. Any issues can be raised through that body and that can then be taken to the leadership of, of the respective organisations. Um, in a way that the athletes feel safe um, in raising it and they do feel like they have a power and a voice there. And that just has not happened um, with, I guess, these Olympic sports, which are which are funded by the government. Um, I think the report describes these NSOs that are um, critically funded by high-performance boys as publicly funded monopolies. And they have all the power in the situation. You know, if you have a dispute with, with the... Um, with the NSO, it's not like you can pack up and go elsewhere and still represent your country. You've, you've just got to um, sit there and take it, and that leads to um, quite a chilling power imbalance, and that's what really needs to be addressed by having independent representation. High Performance Sport New Zealand say, hey, we're already looking at this. Um, we're already looking to set up a body, but you know that's the worrying thing is that High Performance Sport, again, are saying, oh, we will set up a body. It needs to be independent, and it's been completely removed from High Performance Sport NZ and any of the NSOs. I mean, one of the issues is for the athletes that, you know, even if they are high-performance athletes, they're not earning a great deal of money through the high-performance program, uh, so they are very much beholden to the organisation for, for their earnings uh, throughout the year. Is is there anything that they can do, given that we have a living wage outside of sport? Is there anything that, that can be done on that front, I know there was some talk about potentially rather than making athletes contracted, making them actual employees. Yeah, that was one of the issues raised or one of the recommendations raised by um, the review panel. Um, at this stage, High Performance Board and Cycling have not committed to taking that step. I think um, it is a really tricky one. There is only a limited pool of funding, but it, it is something that um, should be looked at and as the review panel say it's not impossible, it can be done and when you look at this, this entire system, you, you know, the coaches um, the support staff, they will rely on these athletes for their paycheck and yet the athletes don't get 
a, a decent salary in return and they don't get any rights in return. You look at the athlete contracts and they are quite shocking. They give all the power to the organisation and in no other industry would you allow workers to operate under those terms. You know, they're just simply, simply unacceptable according to Mike Heron. Has there been anything flagged in terms of uh, what might be done, whether it's from Grant Robertson or whether it's from High Performance New Zealand and how they can go forward here and improve that situation? Yeah, I mean, on the surface, they're saying we're committed to enacting all the recommendations and looking at things. Um, certainly, Cycling New Zealand, we're a lot stronger on that front and a lot more convincing on front on that front. Um, High Performance Sport NZ, Raylene Castle, the director there, she was, uh, I guess, a little bit more circumspect with her comments and didn't really commit to actions um, I think she said that they would be look, like talking about it with the board and, and going over the review and digesting things and then making an action plan from there. So, um, you know, some of the recommendations in the report were quite radical. We're talking about completely basically dismantling the funding system, this whole model of centralisation, changing athlete contracts. And, you know, that, that would mean basically taking down the foundations of high-performance sport in the way we've done elite sport in this country for the past couple of decades. So, um, yeah, it is a big one for them to consider. The worrying thing for me is that Castle was um, indicating that, you know, a lot of this work is already in train with their new high-performance strategy, which was released late last year while this inquiry was underway um, in terms of they, they brought in a new funding criteria that, that did pin wellbeing um, objectives as part of uh, whether a sport will get funding. Um, but the review panel found that that these steps are still not sufficient and they, they don't go far enough. So um, on one side we have Castle saying, look, we're already on top of the stuff. And on the other side, a review panel saying, hmm, we're not sure, quite sure if this goes far enough. Yeah, Castle's an interesting one for me. I'd be interested to get your take on it. I mean, she did well as the head of netball in New Zealand, but I mean, it's very much a niche sport on the world stage. She went to rugby league and failed. She went to Australian rugby and failed. She's back here. Is she the right person to lead high-performance sport in New Zealand, do you think? I think it's a really difficult role, and yeah, <laughs> um, that, that there's you know, she came in as, as the head of Sport New Zealand and then in the interim, the CEO of High Performance Sport New Zealand stepped down and she took over both organisations. Um, it was supposed to be in an interim role in terms of the High Performance Sport body. Um, she's now been appointed full-time in that position. I just think it's too big a remit and you're balancing, um, I guess, two competing ideals of Sport New Zealand, which is supposed to be about... Uh, active participation and recreation and building happier and healthier communities in this very elite high-performance end where the objectives are quite different. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I don't think the role should be combined. And I think, yeah, um, the, the problem is that they've just done this governance review and, and appointed Castle into that role. The other thing I think is, is a real struggle for Castle at the moment, and it, it showed with her comments yesterday in that, um, she's working in the, in the public service now. She's used to coming from these commercial operations where the, they, you know, they weren't answerable to the, the taxpayer. So, um, I, and they don't have that whole, I guess, bureaucracy around things and the public services commission breathing down their neck. And I think that's been a real struggle for the likes of Castle to, to get ahead around that and that she is answerable to the taxpayer. What did you make of the appointment of Karen Smith? Yeah, again, that was just a bit of a head scratcher and that I'm not, you know, while Karen Smith obviously has incredible credentials and I think will be, you know, really good in that role and, and could do some great things for Cycling New Zealand. 
the, the weird thing is that, you know, they're in possession of this document that talks about um, a lack of accountability and transparency around recruitment processes, um, this kind of shoulder-tapping culture within New Zealand sport where talent seems to be recycled and they just use the same personnel, the same voices each time, you know, jobs are sort of traded around like, like um, baseball cards. Jobs for the boys, and I think yet, you said, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, that wasn't my line. That was uh, one of the lines in the report. Um, it was jobs for the mates as well in this case. So, um, yeah, that was the kind of frustrating thing is that they're talking about this drive to improve transparency and accountability. And then on the other hand, they just go and behave the exact same way they always have. Another another point that was highlighted in the report. And they don't seem to grasp that yet. And that's the kind of concerning thing is that um, they're like, you know, Phil Holden tried to defend that action, and I'm, I'm certain he's, he's found the right person for the job. It's just the process that people were questioning. Yeah, well, I mean, is burning down the centralised system the worst thing? Because I look at, uh, I'm trying to grab names here, but they're escaping me, but we've had cyclists, we've had people in sailing, we've had people in canoeing. I know we've had Amy Fisher, for example, is another one who basically have disagreed with the centralised system, don't want to be a part of it, so they take themselves out of it. But when they then outperform, like Amy Fisher did with Lisa Carrington, a centralised funded athlete, they still don't get picked or High Performance Sport New Zealand find a way to get Lisa Carrington, for example. Oh, we'll turn it into a best of three. I mean, is, is burning down the central centralised system the worst thing that could happen? Yeah, I think definitely there's an argument to get rid of centralisation, particularly, you know, that Cambridge hub um, it's such a small community of sporting people down there and that can kind of like, I guess, enhance that sense of isolation and also that, that kind of identity piece where people believe, you know, I am um, Olivia Podmore, the athlete, rather than Olivia Podmore, the human being. And so that can be um, a real struggle for young athletes. Um, that is one of the key recommendations of this report is, is um, moving to away from blanket centralisation. There's still possibly a place for centralisation or having hubs, but it's a case of, you know, not relying on them throughout the year because it's a case of, you know, doing camps around key events and things like that and, and being a bit more flexible in their approach. Um, it is difficult for the sprint cyclists because they do need world-class facilities. There is a lack of velodromes around the country um, and also sprint cyclists kind of need to be training with one another day in, day out um, to be able to get the best out of one another. I think the point that the, the review panel were making were that they need to look at only doing it for certain parts of the year and having a mixed centralisation approach. And I think that should be looked at across the board in New Zealand sport because, you know, clearly there are concerns about what centralisation does for the welfare of athletes. Yeah, um, uh, thanks very much for coming on and, and giving us your thoughts, uh, Dana. It's been fantastic. I've really enjoyed the pieces you've written. And, you know, let's just hope this isn't just hot air again and we get some meaningful change so we don't have to uh, suffer the loss of uh, people like Olivia Podmore again. Absolutely. Thanks, Ricardo. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.